5, verse 13. In Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll, who wrote it, lists this dialogue. He said, If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which road you take. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which road you take. And as we emerge from the pandemic as individuals and as a church, we want to be clear about where we're going. We're moving, like we always have, toward Jesus. And so when we were all separate before in, in our homes, um, things were different. And now we're resetting again. And it's as if we're planting a church with hundreds of people. And so getting things started again takes all of us. And so we're going to, we're, we've been thinking for the last few weeks, two weeks, about how to reboot here, how to reset. We're reminding our thing, ourselves of things that we already know. And as we emerge from a long hiatus, it's easy to get amnesia about our priorities and about what's important. And so we've, so far we've thought about two things. One, fellowship was first. We reminded ourselves that we need other people. We're not designed to go it alone. We're not designed to be by ourselves, none of us. We also saw last week that evangelism is critical. It's not just something that we do, it's something of who we are. That others need our help outside, our commu- outside in our community. They need the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, we have the privilege of being reminded from God's word that we must freely serve one another. We must freely serve one another. We'll unpack that from one verse, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I'll read it. We'll pray. And then we'll start thinking about it together. For you are called to freedom, brothers, should be brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I'm going to read it again. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather here, we gather not as mere learners, but as followers, as disciples. Learners come and get information. Disciples come to be fed and follow. And so, Lord, may we all be counted as those who are disciples. I pray, Lord, that through your word here that you would address us and that you would speak to us in power. I pray that you would help us to be men and women and boys and girls who fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And we know that the way to fix our eyes on you is but to be, to be connected to your word. And we know that we do not live by bread alone. Neither do we live by, by tacos or fish or chicken alone. We live by the word of God and every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Lord, as we consider your word, may it penetrate our hearts, each of us today, whether we're here or somewhere else watching via live stream. Jesus, it's in your name we pray and agree. Amen. We're going to think today about how to freely serve one another. You'll notice in verse, in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5 that we see the word freedom. And the first point is right along with that freedom in Christ. Now, freedom is one of those words, especially for Americans, that we really need to be very clear about defining. We need to set the parameters and the borders because in our world, freedom means something like follow your heart, do whatever you want to do, right? This is what Elsa sung in Frozen. Now, full disclosure, I have never seen Frozen. I never plan to see Frozen. 
I refuse actually to ever see Frozen. And so maybe I'm the only person on the planet who, has, who is in that situation. I'm good with that. But I've heard this song. And in this song, Elsa, who I guess is the main character in this animated show, says, it's time to see what I can do, she says, to test the limits and break through. I guess she sings. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's freedom, right? That's what the United States, that's what our culture communicates is freedom. I can do whatever I want. Or maybe if you don't watch cartoons like me, maybe you've seen William uh, Braveheart and in William Wallace, when, he had a, when William Wallace had a dream, his father looked over at him and said, your heart is free, have the courage to follow it. That, that's the message we hear from our culture. But those ideas of freedom put forth by Elsa and William Wallace's dad are not freedom. Those ideas are foreign to the idea of freedom here that we see in Galatians chapter 5. To be able to understand what kind of freedom we're talking about here, we need to look up at Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. In fact, one of the themes of Galatians, the whole book, is freedom. And we're going to, decide, we're going to define ever so briefly what that freedom is. Paul says in verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 1, chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, fir- stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, what kind of freedom is Paul talking about this here? Is he saying, you can do whatever you want and then come to Jesus for forgiveness? No. Is he saying, it doesn't matter how you live because you have a Savior who will forgive you? No. What's the freedom associated with this word freedom here in Galatians chapter 5? Now, what we need to understand is, here's what Paul's saying. We are free from the law. Now, if I use the word the law, you might think, well, then we can live and and do whatever we want to do. That's not the idea. Hang on with me for a moment. What we're free from is the Old Testament law as a means of salvation. We're free from, I'll say it again and illustrate it here in a moment so it can make a little more sense. We are, as Christians, free from the Old Testament law as means of salvation. Now, we're not used to thinking in these terms, so we're going to hash this out for a few moments. If you think about the law, it's, the law can be summarized very succinctly in Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, we have the presentation of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the summary of the Old Testament law. Exodus 20, verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. We read, do not take the Lord's name in vain. We read, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. We read, we, read, we read all sorts of things all the way down, like do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet, all the way down. Now, is anything about these laws bad? No, right? There's nothing about these laws that are bad. And so how are we free from these laws? These laws are good. Now, there's a problem not with the laws, but with us. Here's the problem. We don't have the power to obey perfectly. 
And so when we come to the law and read, for example, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty straightforward and clear. And if you think, well, listen, I'm going to stay away from those ancient, ancient Egyptian mystery religious gods. I'm going to stay away from the Akkadian gods. I'm going to stay away from Baal in the Old Testament. I'm going to stay away from all of them. And you think, I'm good. That's not, that's not the way it works. The problem for all of humanity is not the law, but deep within us as humans... Deep in the fiber of our humanity is, is that we are, we are designed to worship something. Just as fish were made to swim, and birds were made to fly, and horses were made to run, humanity was made to worship. And our problem is that we can turn anything into a god. Anything we ascribe ultimate value to can become a god that we worship instead of God most high. Golf, food, Family, children, Bitcoin, crafts, reading, writing, exercise. These things can become gods. And so when we come back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, and read, You shall have no other gods before me. And we read that and say, well, wait a minute. I know that I have had other gods before my God. And I know that there are times in which I have worshipped these things and sacrificed for these things and given all that I could for these things. What am I going to do? Now, what does the law do? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. We say, well, I have worshipped other gods aside from the God most high. What do I do? The law stands there and says, you shall have no other gods before me. So what does the law do? It shows us the standard, but as fallen humans, it also points out where we failed. The law can only point out And there's a bondage associated with just pointing out problems, right? There's a bondage associated with just pointing out problems. That's the law. So our bondage is not that the law is bad. It's that we're broken. And we can't obey the way we ought to. That's the problem. All the law can do is say, stop. That's not allowed. Now, any of you who have children know how effective that is. And all of us as adults know that there are things that we want to stop but have trouble stopping. So the law points out the problem but does not empower for a solution. Do you see the difference? The law points out the problem with humanity but doesn't provide any help for humanity. The law can tell you, you don't, we don't just need education. We, just, we don't just need to know what's right and what's wrong. What we need is something much more fundamental. We need power to be able to obey. We need someone or something to help us to be someone different. We can't just have things pointed out to us because then we can just see, well, I'm failing. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. All I know is that there are many times that I've worshipped other gods before the true and holy God. What do I do? Enter Jesus. Here's one of the innumerable reasons that we focus on him and try to literally look away from everything and everyone else. Now let's go back to the Ten Commandments that we already read and relate them to Jesus. You shall have no other gods before me. Now did Jesus ever worship something not his father? No. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Did Jesus ever say, I want to make for myself a likeness of that bird or that fish or that stag, and I want to build it into an idol so that people can worship that? No. Did, the, did Jesus ever take the, take the Lord's name in vain? No. He never used the Father's name just to fill space or to curse someone, but only in loving conversation with other people and his Father. So right there, we see that Jesus has a different relationship with the law than we do. The law stands to us and says, don't, law law comes to us, and law says with a loud voice, do not worship another God besides the God most high. And we say, well, can you help me out? No. Just do not worship another God besides the God most high. The law comes to Jesus and says, do not worship Another God beside the God Most High. And Jesus says, I wasn't about to. I only worship Him. And that's what happened. Jesus was the only one who never worshipped another God before His Father. He was the only one who never worshipped any idol. He was the only one who never took the Lord's name in vain. He was the only one that always kept the Sabbath, always obeyed and honored His parents, never murdered either with his hands or his mouth. He never committed adultery either physically or in his mind. He never stole so much as an idea from someone else. He never lied or gave false impression or exaggerated about anything ever, and he never coveted anything that was not his. Jesus had a different relationship with this law than we do. But what happened to Jesus? What did he deserve to be the one that perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments? Not what he got. He he met his end on a Roman cross. He was hung up, and on that cross he died. And as he died, he carried the sins of his people upon himself. He bore the scourge of humanity's sin and absorbed the wrath of the eternal God for the sins of mankind, and then he died. That was... That was what he got for all of his efforts. The law stood there and said, I have no grounds for accusation against this man. I have nothing to say except he has fulfilled me perfectly. And yet he died. Us, on the other hand, the law speaks to us and says, when have you not coveted? When have you not misrepresented the truth? When have you not stolen ideas and thoughts and time from your employer? And we say, what do we do? We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. See, here is where it gets so important for us to focus on Jesus. Jesus never did any of those things we do habitually. And yet he died and rose again. He had, the law had no grounds for punishment, but yet our Savior freely was punished so that he might take our place. The just punishment that we deserved was meted out on him on the cross. And so when Jesus rose from the dead and rose and ascended to the right hand of the Father, we now are free. We are free 
from the accusations of the law. And this freedom is not a delusion. We cannot say that we've never worshipped another God besides God our Father. We cannot say that we've never worshipped the likeness of anything else. We cannot say that we've never taken the Lord's name in vain. That's delusional. But what's not delusional is this. We have freedom, not because of how we've obeyed, but because Jesus has taken our place. Because Jesus has stood in the gap, the one who obeyed perfectly took upon himself the punishment and the scourge for our sin so that we might be able to receive his righteousness and be free. Freedom, we don't have to obey to gain the favor of God because Jesus has done that. Our righteousness is not dependent on our obedience. Our righteousness is dependent on His obedience. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes us free. Luther always seems to get to the point with a bit of panache. And in this point, he loads extra when he says, So when the devil, or the law, throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. See, the law and the devil are not wrong. We are grievous sinners, but we have a greater Savior. And that Savior has called us to freedom. Now, what do we do with that freedom? How do we use this freedom? Look again at verse 13 in Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity of the flesh. Don't sin and go off and say, I can do however I want just because Jesus is going to cover that. That's not the idea. But through love, serve one another. How are we called to use our freedom in love, serving one another? So we've examined our freedom in Christ. We're free from the accusation of the law, and now we leverage that freedom to serve one another. So our second point today is that we are free to serve. How are we to use our freedom? Freedom is not so that we can go off and do whatever we want or live a life unshackled from obedience or, or following Jesus. No, we believe in Jesus, we're set free, and we turn around and we serve others through love. It's not as if we believe in Jesus, we're set free, and we can go off and do whatever we want. That's not the idea. Verse 13, look again. But through love, serve one another. That word serve there can be rendered maybe stronger. We might be even able to say, enslave yourself to one another. That's the idea here. The idea here is, Paul wants us to know on the one hand, you are free from the accusations of the law. You do not have to obey the law to be saved because Jesus has done that in your stead. But because you are free, use that freedom now to shackle yourself in love to others. That's the idea. So he said, you're not forcibly enslaved to the law because Jesus has set you free. But you must you must freely enslave yourself to others. Why? Because Jesus has set you free. See the connection there. 
We don't serve because we need to get things done, but we serve or enslave ourselves to other here, others here because, because of what Christ has done for us. See, service in the church is not just, hey, we have a labor pool of people who are here together, so we might as well get together and just do some good things so that we feel better about ourselves. Or it's also not just the idea of, like, we have an organization, and so every organization, it needs oiling and it needs work, and everybody needs to get involved so that, so that you know, we can just get stuff done. That's not the reason. Our church, every gospel-preaching church, is more organism than organization. We exist to give life. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist to give life. And so the way we experience life, the way we experience life, the way we receive and give life is by leveraging our freedom to serve other people. We are set free from the power of sin, and we are no longer enslaved to it, and so now we're free. And we're free to use that freedom to voluntarily bind ourselves with chains, the chains of love, to other people. Now that might sound exceedingly strange, again, but remember, we look at Jesus. What did he do? This Jesus was exalted above all things, and what did he do? He willingly humbled himself to serve mankind. Let each of you think, Philippians 2 says, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, look at the example of Christ, who, through, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus willingly enslaved himself for our good because he loved us. You see, love always carries a claim. Love always carries a claim. And the claim for us as Christians is to serve one another. Why? Because, because the Lord Jesus has set us free. Do you see the connection? We don't serve because it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I just got to get some, got to do some good things to make myself feel better. But we serve because we have the opportunity to shackle ourselves in love to other people. See, love works itself out Vertical love works itself out horizontally. We can't say, I love God, but yet refuse to express that love to others. Because we're bound to Jesus, we're also bound to each other. In fact, the primary way that you show that you love Jesus is by serving his people. Not just by your words, but by sacrificing your time and your preferences and your energy for other people. First John says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother, he who does not love his brother, whom, excuse me, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And we show 
that love by serving. Now, there are innumerable ways to serve, and what we're highlighting in the lobby is the opportunities to serve primarily on Sunday mornings, and that's because the Sunday morning gathering is the most important occasion all of us have every week in our church life. There's a lot of different ways to serve. We focus. See, when we gather here, what we do is we turn our eyes away from the noise of the world and we aim our focus on Jesus Christ. In a world full of noise, we need most the Word of God. We need most the God of the Bible. We need each week to meet with this God and His Word who revives and refreshes and reinvigorates the people of God in a way nothing else does. That's what we need, each of us. And so as we think about service, what we're doing is we, as we serve together, we're conscious of the love that we've experienced from Jesus, and we want to express that love to other people. And so it can be from children's ministry, the coffee shop, the production team, security needs. It can be other things that I'll list out here in a moment. But what we need to realize here is even though those things sound very normal, very mundane, very average, very non-spiritual, don't be, don't be misled. They aren't. The Sunday gathering is the only place that we can get together and hear of the eternal work of Jesus. The Sunday gathering is the primary place we get together when we read the Bible together, we sing the Bible together, we pray the Bible together, and we preach the Bible together. And so what we have here is a reminder of what really matters. And we also recognize that coming out of the pandemic, we, we, you know, we had to put everything on pause, and we had to shut everything down. That's the way it goes. And starting up, we knew starting up would take time, and it would be it would be difficult, but we're ready to go. And so as we begin to open things back up, one of the things we want to do is, is just think, how can we be on the right road and make sure that we're able to express love to other people? One of those ways is by serving together. Now, the primary way, as Trey mentioned, is that we need help is serving in children's ministry. Yes, we need people to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to do for our children and point them again to Jesus in our children's ministry, which is clean, safe, and fun. But also, I want you to think also of another way we can serve the families of those people that have kids. Think about those that have young kids. I talked to a mom a few weeks ago who through tears told me that the Word of God preached, sung, prayed, and read on Sundays is her lifeline, literally. And you know what? That's true. Sunday mornings often are a unique respite to the young, for young moms. Even if you've raised kids and now are meeting your grandkids, there are moms who make it here just barely. And to be able to take their children, put them in an environment that's clean, safe, and fun is a massive blessing. And it's only an hour, an hour a week for you. Even if you only have one Sunday a month, that's better. That, that, that is a way to express love. Children's ministry is a very practical, very simple way to follow the path of love, to be enslaved toward others because of the love we've received in Christ. That's the idea here. Now, there's other ways 
I'm not highlighting all the different ways you can serve. There are many different ways, but children's ministry is where we need the most help. Our goal is to open up on June 6th, and also just think about the fact that, that people come into this building. As, as people are coming out, emerging from their homes and their, from, from the, the hiatus of the, the shelter in place of the lockdown, people are coming out and they're thinking, hmm, I wonder about church. And so being able to come to church in a, in a, and, and set, put their children in a place that's clean, safe, and fun so that they might be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, they might be able to meet God through his word. Those are things that we can do as a practical, very easy, practical way of showing love to others. That's one way. Another way is the welcome team. We want people to feel welcome. And if, if you're interested in serving on that welcome team, you can go up to the front lobby and the, sort of that table in the round there. I mean, our goal here is to give people, it, maybe if someone's an unbeliever, to give them a good first impression about the followers of Jesus. Now, you might think, I don't know how to answer Bible questions, and your temptation might be, people come in and say, man, what is infralapsarianism? And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, don't, I can't answer that question. Or, or you know, can you, can you explain to me, um, you know, whether you're trichotomist or dichotomist, or can you, you know, that's not what happens at the Welcome Center. At the Welcome Center, people come in and go, hello, or you say hello, and can I help you? Let me give you a smile. Let me give you a quick tour. Nobody's going to ask about transubstantiation. What we want to do is we want to give them a sense of belonging. So if you're interested in serving at the welcome table, you can go out there after the service is over. If you're, maybe you're more of a production kind of person, you, you're into photography, graphic design, video creation and editing, we have all kinds of needs when it comes to the sound and visual needs just to pull a Sunday morning off. Maybe you want to dispense a means of grace to people and you serve in the coffee shop. The now this is really close to heresy, but pretty close to the truth. If you want to dispense grace, serve in the coffee shop. Pretty close to heresy, but almost true. Um, the security team. If you want to help people feel protected and safe, we have, if, especially if you're trained, to serve on the security team would be a wonderful blessing. Now, two things out there that are not associated directly with Sunday, but I want to give visibility to are, these are two ways we do evangelism in the life of our church, Hope for Addiction and our crisis care team. Now, one of the things we like to do in evangelism is help people in our community who are pushed, pushed past the edges of polite society that other people overlook and ignore. And one of those groups is Hope for Addiction. This is a meeting that happens every Thursday, and the goal here is to come alongside those people who are clean but yet struggling against addiction still. So what our goal here is is to get these people to meet Jesus and get connected to his people. And it doesn't take an advanced degree. It doesn't take some kind, of, some kind of special dispensation or anything to be able to help these people. If you, can, if you can tell somebody about Jesus and tell them what Jesus has done for you, you are qualified to serve. The Bells have done a wonderful job and have been stalwarts back there for a long time and they need help. So if you're interested please connect out there in the lobby. We will train and help you and not just throw you in. The other team that I want to draw your attention to is our crisis care team. So when life hits, when catastrophe lands in our lives with a thud and you 
your mind gets your, your mind gets foggy and you don't know what to do, it's in those moments you need help. We have a team that's designed especially to help those kind of folks in those kind of situations. So if you're interested in helping people that lose a loved one quickly, uh, uh, suddenly, if you if you find if you're interested in coming alongside someone who is facing all kinds of trouble that they didn't think they would ever kind have to face, our crisis care team is that team for you. We'll train you, help you, and you can have the privilege of coming alongside people and showing them the love of Jesus in a very practical way. Now, I realize some of this might seem intimidating, especially if you are if you haven't served in a church before or if you haven't served in a long time. But remember, here's the reason. We don't just need stuff done. What we have is the privilege to be able to express our freedom in showing love to one another. Jesus freely associates himself with us, not because we deserve it, not because we're worth it, but because he loves us. And because we have the privilege now to respond in a way that is commensurate with that, we now, as Christians, totally free from all accusations, totally free from, from any threat of death or hell, totally free, what we have the opportunity to do is to forget about ourselves and shackle ourselves in love to other people in a very practical way by serving. So how are you participating? All of us, all of us, all of us can do something. I mean, think about the opportunity we have as a church. As the darkness descends in our culture and society, as it has been for a long time, we have the privilege of being a light to this community of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have someone come into this church building on a Sunday morning and experience something totally different. People who are not getting paid to do something for them, but people who are willingly do, serving, the, serving them so that they might be able to meet this Jesus. This is powerful. And this is our call. Both for the community that doesn't know Jesus and for each other. We have the privilege of shackling ourselves in love to each other. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I ask that you would I ask you to help us, Lord. I'm so grateful for the way in which our church responds to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would add unbelievers to our midst that get saved. I pray, Lord, that you would connect those that are new in, to serve in ways that are meaningful, to be able to build a life together with others. Lord, I pray that you would stoke in all of us a desire to to sacrifice and give of ourselves and shackle ourselves in service to other people. May we be a people, Lord, who look to honor you with all of our hearts and lives, Lord. And as we open back up and welcome people back into our church after this pandemic that we did not plan, I pray that you would impact people in a way they don't know by the practical service that we can offer in our church. I pray that we would impact people in ways they could never anticipate just by the love of service. Lord, thank you for 
Jesus, thank you for setting us free, and may we use that freedom to honor and serve and give ourselves for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.